on the reflexes. China is here, Mr. Burton. Yeah, go ahead. All right. The Chan scene. Yeah. Okay. The Wing Kong. They've been fighting for centuries. What does that mean? Huh? China is here. I don't even know what the hell that means. All I know is this low pan character comes out of thin air in the middle of a damn alley while his buddies are flying around on wires cutting everybody to shreds and he just stands there waiting for me to drive my truck straight through him with light coming out of his mouth. Look, the slow pan I ran over through. What the hell is Gracie Law doing here? She can't get enough of me. I'm getting close, real close. And now for some more bad news. Ready? What, this gets worse? Come on. If you have an influence over your youthful friend, you better exert it now. Otherwise, I will have both of you roll off to the hell where people are skinned alive. It's that simple, understand? Are you crazy? Is that your problem? Go off and rule the universe from beyond the grave. Indeed! Or check into a psycho war, whichever comes first, huh? Jack, will you... Jack, what? I'm supposed to buy this sh- 2,000 years and he can't find one broad to fit the bill? Come on, Dave. You must be doing something seriously wrong. Who are these people? Friends of yours, huh? Now, this really pisses me off to no end. Ah, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Jack Burton. Me. Old Jack always says, what the hell? Welcome to Sweet Play Podcast. This is your host with the most, Mike McMasunas. How's everybody doing today? I am doing great, guys. Considering the fact that it's early Saturday morning, and it's very cold out, and there's supposed to be a lot of snow today, and I have a kid who's sick. Other than that, though, it's it's doing pretty good, I have to say. And I'm very excited for this episode for Big Trouble in Little China. Now, for those of you who did not listen to the last episode uploaded, which was the Underground Hour, to give you a little insight of what's going on, as you know, uh, if you are in the STL Nation, then you know already Jameson's been out there trying to rescue the people from all this crazy snow. So we postponed Terminator 2 uh, just for a time that we can get together. It's too big of an episode for me to try to do by myself. And, uh, of course, I, we didn't want to rush it or anything like that. So it's definitely going to be coming to you when is going to be the question. So then in the STL Nation, I said, hey, I need some movies. I need a fun movie to do uh, before you know we get into some Home Alone 2 to kind of make up for Terminator 2. And that's when everybody threw some random votes and Big Trouble in Little China was one of the movies that uh, got a lot of requests. And it's a movie I've been wanting to do for a very, very long time. And it just seemed right. And then the other movie that got picked was Jurassic Park. And then after Jurassic Park, supposed to be Home Alone 2. And then after Home Alone 2 comes the big episode, the top 20 songs of 2013, along with the top five movies of 2013 episode I'm, I'm so looking forward to i think it's going to be super fun and great so that's kind of the the basic gist of everything to kind of get you caught up to speed of why this episode is big trouble in Little china versus terminator 2 so before we get into of course the review of big trouble in Little china let's get into some movie and music news hold on little girl show me what he's done to you stand up little girl can't be that bad when it's through, it's through. Fake with twist of both of you. So come on, baby, come on over. Let me be the one to show you.
All right, so first thing up in movie news that we need to talk about, of course, is the uh, the Wonder Woman casting and this whole Man of Steel, a.k.a. Justice League debacle that we have going on. Because, you know, the last episode uh, that was in the Underground Hour was the Remembering Paul Walker episode, which was obviously more important to do than for me to want to sit and talk about uh, some Man of Steel stuff. But here's the thing, you know, I've had time to kind of chill out a little bit and, you know, kind of listen to some other people. And and here's the thing. So Gal Gadot has been cast as Wonder Woman. Now, as you know, uh, I'm a humongous fan of her in the Fast and Furious franchise. You know, of course, she was in 4, 5, and 6. And she's really great. But, of course, there's a lot of people that uh, are not happy with the casting and, and for me, you know, I always thought, kind of like with Jameson, that Gina Carano, even though uh, a lot of people say she can't act or whatever, she definitely looks the part. You know, I've always thought, actually, Charisma Carpenter, for those of you who know Buffy or Angel, that, uh, I mean, she can act. Uh, she's definitely got the, the Wonder Woman look. She's got the Amazon look, if you will. Uh, but Gina Carano, more than likely... Uh, would be the best candidate at this point in time for the actual look because uh, Amazon women, they're definitely, you know, there's some thick women, man, and there's some good times, and Gina Carano has that build to look like an Amazon woman. But uh, as I've been kind of reading around and, and stuff like that, they may be trying to, I don't know, maybe they're trying to change it up and not make Wonder Woman an Amazon, you know? I mean, look, let's look at it this way. I didn't think that Anne Hathaway could pull off Catwoman. I was like, huh, Anne Hathaway, huh? And then I was like, wow, she was excellent. And then uh, nobody thought that Lawrence Fishburne, like Perry White, you know, Perry White's supposed to be a white guy, and Lawrence Fishburne blew it away. So maybe they're just trying to say, hey, we don't want Wonder Woman to be Amazon. Maybe they're trying to change up, you know, the mythos and stuff, kind of like in the Arrow TV show. They do a lot of changes in that show, and people dig it and don't really complain about it. Maybe that's what they want to do with Wonder Woman, and that's why they wanted to pick uh, Gail Godot, uh, who has the accent, and of course she's she's you know she's skinny, but as they said, you know she's just got to work out and put on 30 pounds of muscle, and who knows what she could pull off, you know, because there, obviously she did something to to blow people away. Now, of course, when I was watching Thor, I finally saw Thor: The Dark World uh, on the seventh. It was pretty cool. But uh, Jamie Alexander, you know, most people are like, yeah, she definitely would be the the perfect fit. But then I also heard rumors, I don't know if that may be the case, that due to her contract with Marvel, there's no way that she would have been able to play Wonder Woman. So here's the thing. I'm trying to be open-minded about it. And to be honest with you, I think I was okay with the fact of having Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman. I'm like, okay, you're three. And granted, we don't know the extent. Maybe it's just a cameo piece that's supposed to happen at the end. But then you start hearing all these other people being cast and it's like starting to turn into Spider-Man 3 or Batman and Robin with all this casting. It's like, how can you guys add all these people when, you know, you're supposed to give us a sequel that should be more, uh, you know, not necessarily less action, but try to pull back a little bit and give us more emotion, you know, kind of answer those questions from part one. How is Superman and how is Clark going to deal with the things that happen in Man of Steel? And it's very hard to kind of pull back and take in a more emotional journey when you're going to be adding all these people in your movie, you know? So at this point, 
Uh, I'm going to be in a sit and wait game, you know, kind of see. Uh, granted, this movie's two years away, you know. And, uh, you know, as, as Jason said over on Flicks, you know, he's more worried about the writing than he is about anything else, you know. And I would have to agree with that. You know, how are you going to write all this stuff? How are you going to make a better, more uh, character development type sequel when you're going to be adding 50 more people into your movie, you know? So uh, I think I'm definitely in the same, uh, that's kind of where I stand now is in regards to Gail Godot. At first I was like, oh man, she, she just doesn't have the look. And now I'm kind of like, well, maybe they're trying to change it up. Let's see what they give us, kind of like they did with uh, Anne Hathaway with Catwoman. And we'll see how it goes. Of course, a lot of people say, oh, she can't act, whatever. But who knows, you know? Maybe she has better acting abilities than you've seen before. Who knows? So, again, I got to be the optimistic here. And I, I was very furious about this. And I was just getting to the point where I was like, man, I just don't care anymore. And I'm kind of, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm still kind of that way where I'm just like, I'm starting to get less and less excited about this movie, but at the same time, I was, you know, blown away when I watched the movie because I hated on the trailer so much. So, you know, I don't want to be hating on it too much and then, you know, be like, oh, wow, that movie was great. Or it could be a total train wreck like some people are thinking. So who knows? But that's kind of my overall, my stance at this point of how I feel about the movie. And then uh, to kind of continue on from the uh, Paul Walker episode, thank you guys for checking it out. Thank you for the kind words on that. And uh, just kind of a little update. Basically, uh, the writer, Chris Morgan, who's wrote uh, three, four, five, and six and was writing seven, he has until January to figure out how to salvage what was filmed of Paul Walker and retire the character. So... Uh, in political terms, essentially killing off Brian. Now, as I told you, I think the way to go is to kill him off screen and, you know, just make Jason Statham's character that much more of a bad guy. I'll tell you this, though. Um, you know, and then, of course, if they can't figure it out and they scrap the movie, it'll be the biggest insurance claim in Hollywood history because they've spent $150 million on that. But here's the thing that was crazy. So I got Fast 6 on uh, on the 10th when it came out. I got the steel book. And I was, it was really funny. When I was at Walmart, I had the steel book, and I was like, that's the one I'm going for. And then when I saw the actual Blu-ray cover, it was this sweet-looking hologram cover. I'm like, ooh, that looks really cool. But I'm like, steel books, those are usually hard to find. Maybe I should go with that. So, of course, I went with the steel book and brought it home. Now, I'll tell you, uh, watching the movie again, you know, because as you know, me and my wife, we love this movie in the theater. But watching it again was so surreal. My wife had a really hard time watching this movie again. She was really just chewing her nails, keeping her hands over her face just because she's just like, this is really hitting me hard. You know, all the Paul Walker scenes were just that much more, um, I don't know, they just meant that much more. And some of the dialogue was just really so surreal, like, uh, you know, I can't do this without you, brother, you know, just stuff like that where you're just like, wow, talk about foreshadowing. But here's where things got really, really bad. I don't think this is a special feature on the DVD. I think it's only on the Blu-ray. It, it's, a, it's a Fast and Furious 7 first look. So clearly, they had this all packaged up, ready to go before the whole Paul Walker incident. So they didn't have time to pull this stuff off. 
So uh, for those of you who don't know, Tokyo Drift happens, uh, you know, all these movies take place before Tokyo Drift. So Han dies, obviously, in Tokyo Drift. So at the end of Fast 6, you get the ending of Tokyo Drift and, and then you find out Jason Statham is the one that killed Han. So that's why Fast Fury 7 is going to be a revenge flick. So it starts off, you see a picture of Han and you're at the funeral. And you see Tyrese and Paul Walker and Ludacris and Vin Diesel. Uh, they're all at the, you know, they're all at this funeral, and they're basically, uh, you have. It starts off, and Tyrese like, I can't handle any more funerals, man. And then Ludacris says, first, uh, first Han, now Hobbs, who's laid up uh, above above all other people, which you know clearly tells you that Jason Statham takes out Dwayne Johnson in the movie, like I predicted, because he's in the he's in the bed. In the hospital bed, but uh, Vin Diesel goes up to Han and just says, "You know, you are my brother. I'm gonna kill this guy because he killed you." And this is where it gets bad. You have, uh, you have, um, oh man, this is this is tough. Okay, this is where we have Brian promised me there's not gonna be any more funerals, and then Paul Walker looks at Tyrese and says, "There's gonna be one more." And then I'm like, oh my god! And then of course he finishes by says it's going to be his, and that's how it ends. Talk about surreal, man! When you hear the words coming out of his mouth, there's going to be one more funeral, and then boom, he oh he dies. It was just crazy. So I I'm very curious to see if they're going to keep that in the film. Oh man, crazy! It, I'm telling you, man, this is just it's going to be such a crazy journey how this is going to turn out. But when you watch that special feature, it's very surreal, you know, and it, it makes you want to see Fast 7 so bad. But at the same time, you're just like, wow, how could you possibly leave that in the movie? You know what I mean? So it's going to be crazy. Uh, so let's move on to some other news that's not so depressing. Okay, so a lot of people are going to be happy with this, maybe. Uh, you know, the whole Terminator reboot they got going on. Who cares? That's kind of my attitude with this. Terminator's been brought down to the ground and stomped on. But they're trying to reboot it. And uh, Amelia Clark is now Sarah Connor in the Terminator reboot. So for those of you who do not know who this woman is, Clark, who plays Dragon's lover on the HBO TV show Game of Thrones. So there you go. Now, uh, because of the fact we're going to be dealing with the new sort of uh, time... Uh, line in the story if you will you know because of the fact she got killed off in a third installment this new time travel plot device that they got going on it's going to have the return of Sarah uh, for the next chapter so uh, she looks she looks pretty you know she definitely looks like she could be a pretty cool Sarah Connor it's cool I guess you know for those of you guys who are, are super fans of the fact that they're going to be having a new Terminator movie TV show whatever that's kind of my thing you know I mean Dude, if if they were to tell me that The Rock was the new Terminator, forget Arnold, okay? Arnold, you cannot be the Terminator. You're too old, man. Seriously. Let it go. But if you were to tell me that The Rock was the new Terminator, I'd be like, sign me up. I want to see that movie now, you know? But until I hear that casting, I'm just like, whatever, you know? I know it's a bad thing to say, but seriously, who else looks the flipping part of the Terminator now? Uh, who okay i'm sorry it's dwayne johnson right who's bigger than dwayne johnson right now you know physical wise i mean the guy has no neck that's how big he is okay 
I'm telling you, he'd be awesome. Now we have some ba- uh, we have some major news for Spider-Man, of course. Now we got, uh, of course, the killer trailer. It was amazing, mind blowing. I loved it. I mean, that two and a half minutes was better than half the movies I watched in 2013. Uh, but we did hear news: Andrew Garfield is not going to be in Spider-Man 4. Who knows what that's going to be? And then, of course, we got the news about all these Spider-Man spinoffs. So we're going to get a Venom spinoff, and we're going to get the 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 uh, what is that? Sinister Six. Thank you. Sorry, I'm not. You know, I love the Spider-Man movies, but I've never been into the comics. So forgive me, I had to look up that one. I think this is cool, man, because Venom definitely needs his own movie. I mean, this guy is just as popular as the Joker. I mean, arguably, I think in Marvel, he's probably like Joker status. I don't know. You know, quote me if I'm wrong on that, but from an outside perspective, not being a humongous Marvel fan, I would think Venom would be up there in regards to favorite villains uh, in the Marvel Universe. So I think it's cool he's getting his own movie and Sinister Six, and, you know, they want to have their own Spider-Man universe going on because if they can't include him in Marvel, why the hell not, right? So I'm cool with it. Sounds awesome, and uh, I can't wait to see some Spider-Man 2. I think it's going to be totally awesome, and I can't wait, and... Uh, maybe he'll be in Spider-Man 4. You know, we didn't think that uh, Robert Downey Jr. was coming back for Avengers 2. And then they gave him like a half a billion dollars or something like that. And now he's coming back. So uh, I'm sure Andrew Garfield will be back for Spider-Man 4. Uh, especially if this whole spinoff thing that they have planning takes off and creates multi, you know, millions and millions of dollars for these guys. No doubt about it. Uh, I watched some new movies, of course. I told you Thor The Dark World. Uh, it was great. I loved it. I watched uh, The Wolverine, which uh, a lot of people hated on. And I really liked the fact of the, um, you know, the vulnerability, you know, of the character, of how they kind of changed things up. It was cool. I really liked it more than most people, I would say. Of course, I watched We're the Millers last night. So hilarious. It's my favorite comedy of 2013, no doubt. It was great. It was so cool to kind of catch up on some stuff. And the final bit of movie news I have before we roll into some music news is that Don Cheadle is going to be coming back for Avengers Age of Ultron. Well, I should say he wasn't in the first Avengers, but he's being requested to be in Avengers Age of Ultron, which I am totally cool with. You know, I love this guy. I thought he was great in Iron Man 2. He was great in Iron Man 3. And I am totally cool with seeing this guy again. Um, and the fact that he's going to be in this big, huge movie is just going to be some good times. Now, uh, in addition, Bleeding Cool reports that British actor Simon McBurney is in line for a role in the film uh, that we are hearing will be the new Jarvis, which isn't a replacement computer, but the actual butler named Jarvis. So, that ought to be pretty interesting. Of course, this is all still unconfirmed, but... I'm pretty sure it's going to be official. So that's it, guys, for movie news at this point. So let's roll into some quick music news for you. Now, funny enough, we had an album bomb, and then we had one skyrocket. Uh, It's pretty crazy. So Britney Spears' uh, new album, which is called Britney Jean, was her first album in her whole music career to not, not, not only debut at number one, but this is her weakest selling album to date. Her debut album has sold more CDs in one week than this album did. It's crazy. But the one that ended up having a very good week would be Beyonce. Evidently, she did this exclusive virtual album that sold over 80,000 in three hours and it's on its way to number one. And everybody's just going on and on about how great this album is. And I guess it was like a big secret. Nobody knew she was going to be releasing this. And once she did... 
then of course it just blew up. It's pretty crazy. So I shouldn't be surprised at the fact that Beyonce is doing so good. I mean, it's Beyonce. This girl always does really good. But I, I kind of like the idea. You just have a surprise album. Boom, here you go, fans. Check it out, you know. I was really shocked at Britney, though, uh, hearing how low her numbers were. At the same time, though, people want to hear newer artists. They want to hear Selena Gomez and Demi Lovato, something a little bit more different. You know, I understand Britney's trying to change it up a little bit, but... I guess people are maybe getting tired of her. I don't know. So it was just kind of interesting news. Now, here is where things get really funny. So Billboard decided that they are going to release the top 100 songs of 2013. They uh, did this on the 13th. So this cracks me up. Um, who number one is? Of course, it's Thrift Shop, Macklemore, and you know Ryan Lewis. But you guys realize Thrift Shop was a 2012 song, right? It just blew up in 2013. This was the whole reason why I said we're going to change things up on the list episode that I have going on. Because of the fact of there's some songs that uh, are that technically come out the year before but don't blow up until the next year so like maybe an album was released in 2012 but you heard a brand new song released in 2013 so that's why i wanted to change it up a little bit you know i only said that uh it had to have been released in 2013 but any song like any album or any song that was actually delivered in 2013 or it was a song that was on the radio in that debuted in 2013 you know so that that's kind of why i wanted to change it up a little bit for you guys to kind of make your your list a little bit more range and make it kind of harder for you to to narrow down a top 20 because i have multiple songs that uh on my list that were not even released to radio but they were released on a cd in 2013 and as I told you, in the digital age, every song is a single. So that's kind of what's going to make this list so much fun to do. But here we go. Here's our top 10 of 2013. Number one is Thrift Shop. Number two is Blurred Lines, Robin Thicke, of course. Number three is Radioactive by Imagine Dragons. Number four is The Harlem Shake. Seriously? Uh, number five is Can't Hold Us, which is a great song. I like this song way better than I like Thrift Shop. Uh, Macklemore, Ray Lewis. Number six is Mirrors by Justin Timberlake. Number seven is Give Me a Reason, Pink, featuring Nate uh, from Fun. This song has always been a, a song that I've tried my hardest to really, really like, and I just could not ever get into. I don't know what it is, but there's just something about this song that I just don't love. You know, I don't hate it, but I just, you know, normally Pink songs I love, but this one I just can't get into. Uh, number eight is When I Was Your Man by Bruno Mars, which is a great song. Uh, Cruise by Florida Georgia Line featuring Nelly. Straight up country, guys. Straight up country. And uh, these guys got in the top ten. And number ten, of course, Katy Perry with Roar. This song should easily be higher on the list, but it's okay. So that's your top ten, guys, of uh, 2013 Hot 100 songs. Um, I guess I'll quickly roll through, you know, the top. Since I'm doing a top 20, I'll give you uh, their 11 through 20. Uh, a Locked Out of Heaven is number 11 by Bruno Mars. Number 12 is Hohe by the Lumners. Stay by Rihanna, uh, which is a really great song. Get Lucky by Daft Punk featuring Pharrell Williams. Royals is 15. Ugh, the worst song of 2013. I hate this song. Ugh, it should be like. 
I don't know, like 250. This song's terrible. Uh, 16, I Knew You Were Trouble by uh, Taylor Swift. Doesn't shock me there. 17 is We Can't Stop, Miley Cyrus. And 18 is Wrecking Ball. And 19 is Wake Me Up uh, by Avicii. And then uh, 20 is Student High. Wrecking Ball, I mean, clearly this song had to have done major damage for it to be number 18 because this song just got released like two months ago. So the fact that it got to the top, that it's number 18, actually says a lot. So... So that's it, guys. That's your top 20, 100 songs from Billboard. So go check those out. If any of those songs, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that song. And find out how many of those songs go in my top 20 uh, in the next few weeks. So that's it, guys, for movie and music news. So let's get into the review of Big Trouble in Little China. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here. And a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is this some kind of... Magic. The darkest magic. They call it Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos. It's where Big Trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! They told him to go to hell. He made one move. And that's just where he's going. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. There are many mysteries, many unanswerable questions, even in a life as short as yours. My destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best. Summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. It's all in the reflexes. You will come out no more. What? Huh? What'll come out no more? Come on. Damn it. All right, guys, Big Trouble in Little China. Man, I cannot wait to talk this movie. This has been a movie I've been wanting to talk about for a really long time and just never got around to it. This is a movie that actually changed the way that I watch film today. Um, to kind of give you a little story, I, uh, I if you remember 
uh, when DVDs, you know, definitely dominated. And we had two versions. We had a full screen version and we had a widescreen version. Now, uh, I used to think that you saw more with full screen because of the two black bars. I was like, well, you clearly see more in full screen than you do in widescreen because you have those two stupid, you know, black bars and stuff. Now, as you know, my friend Jason, uh, of course, you guys know who Jason is. Uh, Mr. You know, Flicks and Film and Focus and Show Me to Winston and The Shield Files. And then, of course, uh, the newest podcast with Jameson, Real Films Podcast. So my buddy, my friend, um, on his show, Show Me the Winston, had a long talk about widescreen. And you're probably like, so what's up with that title, Show Me the Winston? Well, it actually has to deal with Ghostbusters. I'm sure everybody's seen Ghostbusters. And as you know, in the full screen version of Ghostbusters, there's multiple scenes where Winston is cut out of the picture. But then when you watch it in widescreen, there is Winston. And funny enough, I never really realized this until they brought it up. And this, and of course, because Jason's a filmmaker, explain how widescreen you you see more. So here's the thing: um, when I bought a DVD player, this was the very first movie that I got on DVD. And my wife and me, we sat down, we put it on because uh, we got we had just gotten married in 2001. And we, you know, this was our wedding gift was a DVD player and we got Big Trouble in Little China because we just love this movie. So when it starts off, you have this crazy graphics of like going through like, uh, you know, low pans place. And we were just blown away by the way that this DVD looked. We were like the color and the sound was so vibrant. It was crazy. And then, of course, when we started to play the movie, the very first scene with Egg Shen uh, talking to his lawyer, you see the girl in the background, the typist, and we had never seen that before. So at that point in time, I was officially done with full screen. I switched over the widescreen because clearly it was proven to me that uh, as we watched this movie, we would see things that we had never seen before. Uh, and we then knew at that moment in time that widescreen was the way to go. And, uh, and of course, as Jason would talk about and show me the Winston, I would agree with him because I had finally been converted at that point in time, uh, when his show had started, uh, talking about widescreen. And I was just like, I totally hear you, man. So in 2001, I got converted to widescreen and it was because of this movie, this movie and funny enough, Ghostbusters, I would go back after I heard it because I hadn't watched Ghostbusters in that long, but it was on Show Me the Winston. Then I went back, I'm like, yep, there's Winston, you know, the beauty of widescreen. But it was this movie here that changed my movie perspective, and I never bought a full-screen DVD ever again. It was only widescreen. I would, you know, somebody would buy me a DVD, it would say full-screen at the top. I'm like, sorry, take it back, give me a widescreen, you know. So let's talk about this movie, guys. Uh, this is a John Carpenter movie. And that is good times for myself. As you know, Halloween is my favorite horror movie of all time. And I love uh, some John Carpenter movies. You know, of course, I love They Live with uh, Rowdy Piper. Uh, great movie. It's super fun times. I'm, I'm looking forward to reviewing this film uh, next year. And, uh, you know, this is a movie that John Carpenter was just like, you know what, I want to make a kung fu film, and that's what he did. Now, this movie came out in 1986. As you know, it's basically a martial arts comedy film. Now, of, of course, funny enough, this movie was actually supposed to be a Western set in 1880s, but uh, the screenwriter uh, had to rewrite the script. 
and modernize everything. And uh, they essentially rushed this movie into production because Eddie Murphy's film, The Golden Child, was supposed to come out right around the same time. And unfortunately, this movie was a, a commercial failure. The box office uh, budget was $20 million. It only made $11 million, But this movie is regarded as a big, huge cult classic. It's got 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. So clearly this movie... Uh, got better as the years went on, more exposure, and just people love and adore this film. And there's other people that completely hate this film. It's definitely one of those movies that you either love it or you hate it. And that's kind of my, you know, the people that I know, that's kind of how they are. Oh, yeah, I love Big Trouble in Little China. No, I hate that movie. That movie sucks. So I think this movie, the people, I should say the people listening to this episode, chances are you're a big fan of this movie. Uh, and if you're not, maybe I can convert you over to see the fun side of this film. I mean, clearly, this movie is a B movie. It's not an A movie. It's a B movie. And we shall discuss this as we go on. But I really saw it last night in big, bold letters. This movie is a B movie. So let's go through this film and discuss kind of, you know, I know there's some people out there who haven't seen this movie in a long time. So let's go through the plot real quick just to kind of refresh your memory. And then we'll get through the details of the film and discuss what's really good, what still holds up, what's not good, all that fun stuff. All right. So basically, you guys know Kurt Russell is our main star of this film. He's good old Jack Burden. Uh, Can't wait to talk about this guy. Uh, Him and his friend, uh, who's a restaurant owner, Wayne. Uh, who's played by Dennis Dunn. This guy's awesome. And let me just say this. Big Trouble in Little China is Mortal Kombat. It's basically the movie Mortal Kombat should have been. As we go through this, I'll explain to you who's uh, who's Goro, who's uh, Shang Tsung, and who's uh, you know Liu Kang, so on and so forth. It's going to be super fun. That's another reason why this movie is awesome because it's flipping Mortal Kombat. So there you go. All right, so Kurt Russell uh, and his friend uh, Wang, they go to this airport and they're going there because they're going to pick up uh, you know Wang's fiance. Her name is Miao Yin. Very beautiful woman. Uh, who's arriving from China. Now, there's this Chinese street game. They're called the Lords of Death, of course. What other name would they have? And, of course, they kidnap Miao Yin because they're intending to sell her as a sex slave. So Jack, he's got this big rig truck. So him and Wang, they track down the Lords of Death. They go to this back alley of Chinatown. Now, they find uh, that there's this funeral that's uh, happening, and then it quickly erupts into this big street fight between uh, the Chang Sing and the Wing Kong. Uh, it's two ancient Chinese societies, basically. So these uh, three storms come down, aka Raiden. Uh, so we have thunder, rain, lightning. <laughs> this is gonna be super fun, but just go with me here. So, anyways, these these guys are called the three storms. They appear, they slaughter the Chang Sing. The Chang Sing obviously are the good guys, okay? So Jack. Uh, he tries to escape, and he runs over this guy called Lo Pan, who's played by the awesome James Hong. If you guys have ever seen um, Revenge of the Nerds 2, the guy that teaches Booger how to burp forever, oh, man, I love me some James Hong, man. This guy is great. So anyways, he is this powerful, he's a legendary sorcerer, and he's, of course, the leader of the Wing Kong. Now, of course, uh, Jack runs him over, he gets out of his truck, and then he gets blinded by Lo Pan, and then uh, Wang um, essentially grabs Jack to go through the alleys. They escape the carnage, the mayhem that's going on. And then, of course, Jack's truck gets stolen after everything ends. 
Now, Wang takes Jack back to his restaurant, and that's where they meet up with this lawyer named Gracie Law, a.k.a. Kim Cattrall. And we shall talk about her when we get there. But uh, we also have Wang's friend, Eddie Lee, and there's also this guy named Egg Shen, Victor Wong. And if you guys have ever seen Three Ninjas, that's Victor Wong. He's essentially like Mr. Miyagi, but Mr. Miyagi, if he was drunk 24 hours a day, that's who Victor Wong is. Good times. So anyways, now, of course, Egg Shen is the local authority. You know, he's the guy that knows everything about Lo Pan, which is good times. Now, Jack, Jack is us as the audience member. We we're in this world you know we're learning as he's learning uh we don't believe it just like him so they're trying to explain to jack some of the ancient knowledge and the sorcery that the chinese brought with them to america uh you know just to try to convince him so they eventually get this plan that they're going to uh go to this place where they think miao yin is being held but of course the three storms they show up and they make off with miao yin and they bring her in front of Lo Pan. Now, uh, Jack and uh, Wang also try to, you know, kind of get her back, but they get, um, you know, they get attacked by rain and they get taken to Lo Pan as well. Now, when you see Lo Pan, he's this crippled old guy. So you're kind of like, huh, that's not the guy that was ran over in the beginning of the film. And Wang tells Jack that Lo Pan needs a special green eye girl to break this ancient curse. And uh, he intends that he wants to sacrifice Miao Yin to become flesh, as you're going to be told multiple, multiple, multiple times throughout this movie, because we're stupid. So anyways, uh, Jack and Wang, um, their friends attempt to save them, of course, and they get captured. And Lil Pan notes that Gracie also has green eyes. Got to get a little twist in there. And then uh, Lopan decides that what he's going to do is he's going to sacrifice Gracie. So that way uh, he can have Miao Yin as his wife and, you know, he can do his earthly pleasures with her, as he puts it. So after getting the drop on uh, Thunder, Jack and Wang, they escape. And they also free all the other women that are being held captive. So Wang and Jack, they go to see Egg Shen. And uh, they also have the help of the Chang Sing, the guys, the ones that lived from the beginning of the fight in the beginning of the movie. And they decide that they're going to enter this underground cavern uh, to get to Lo Pan's headquarters. You know, because I told you, Egg Shen, this guy knows everything there is about Lo Pan. So, of course, he knows the secret hideout. You just take the Ghostbusters uh, pole down there and boom, you're there. So, Egg decides he's going to pour each of the guys this uh, potion which is to make them feel invincible, if you will. You know, you can see things no other man can see, do things no other man can do. So in other words, they get superpowers at the end of the movie. It's good times. So during the wedding ceremony, uh, there's this huge fight that ensues. Jack uh, accidentally knocks himself out because he shoots his gun. Uh, all the rocks fall on his head and he gets knocked out because, you know, he's an idiot. So what essentially happens is, is that uh, Wang kills Rain uh, in this sword duel. Very cool. While Jack and Gracie try to catch Lil Pan. So Wang joins them and uh, just when all seems basically lost, Jack kills Lil Pan with this awesome uh, knife throw to the head. It's very cool. We'll talk about it. And then Thunder, uh, which, by the way, Thunder... 
is my least favorite character in this whole entire movie. Just want to point it out. But anyways, Thunder, he's he's the guy that explodes, right? So Thunder, he he sees uh, Lil Pan on the floor. He's enraged and he decides that uh, he is going to kill himself and he blows up and it's, yeah, it's gross. So then Jack, Wang, Gracie, and Miao Yin, uh, they're cornered by the other guy, um, Oh, I forget which the guy this was. Uh, Lightning. Yeah, Lightning uh, corners them in this corridor. Uh, but Egg Shen comes to the rescue, throws this rope down, and then, of course, it kills Lightning because uh, he gets his big boulder on top of his head. And then after finding Jack's truck, they escape back to Wang's restaurant. So Lo Pan, you know, he's defeated. The group celebrates in kind of like, uh, you know, a big family way. You know, it looks really cool. It's like Thanksgiving dinner almost. And uh, Wang and Meow are obviously going to get married, you know, and Margot, uh, which I really didn't talk about. She's kind of a, yeah, she's kind of a, definitely a secondary character, but she's, she's Gracie's journalist friend, but she's going to probably pair up with uh, Eddie, which is Wang's friend. And then Egg decides that he's going to go on this long vacation because, you know, China's in his heart, but he's going to go visit his mom. And then Jack, instead of starting up a new life with Gracie, uh, as everyone would expect, they kind of do a little twist and says bye to everybody, doesn't give her a kiss goodbye. And then he does his drive like he started the movie off. And then we have uh, Goro. Uh, come out of the truck and then the movie ends. So that's essentially, guys, what happens in this film. So let's go through uh, all the good stuff, all the bad stuff, and uh, discuss this film. All right, so I've already told you when the movie starts off, we have Egg Shen talking to his lawyer. You see the typist in the background. Uh, that was the scene. I told you right off the bat is what made me change my movie watching experience. I had to go to widescreen. You know, I'll never forget that, that this was the scene that did it. Now, the cool thing with this scene is clearly you may not know this the first time around, but this is the ending of the film in the beginning of the film because the uh, Egg Shen and the lawyer are talking about all the events that happened throughout this movie. So clearly, you know that this scene takes place before he takes off to go see his mom. Uh, you know, he got, he got in trouble basically, or maybe he came back and then he gets in trouble for all the events that happened in this movie. You leave Jack Burton alone. You know, I love me to make Shen. This guy is great. He has some, he has definitely the best, uh, funny scenes in this movie with his face and just the things he says. This guy is, like I said, Mr. Miyagi if he was drunk 24 hours a day. This guy is great. It sets the, the tone of the movie because he's serious, but then he's funny. And then he does the little lightning in his hands. And you're just like, wow. And then we kick off with that awesome theme song. Oh, man, that theme song is so awesome. And you know which one it is. It's the one that how this show opens is the song that you heard. And it's with Jack uh, going down the road in his truck and just talking. Now, let's talk about Jack Burton. Uh, I love Jack Burton because he talks about himself in the third person. Huh. That's actually a pretty good idea. So you know what? You know what Masunas really likes about Jack Burton? Let me tell you what good old Masunas thinks about Jack Burton here. I think Jack, I think The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson stole this idea from this movie because clearly Jack Burton did it first. So Masunas thinks that The Rock stole this idea and made it work for himself. And he does it very well. Jack is definitely the uh, funny guy. You know, Kurt Russell has made many, many great movies, uh, a lot of serious ones, a lot of funny ones. 
this guy is great. Uh, it's so cool that he's going to be in Fast and Furious 7. I'm very interested to see what he brings to the table because I love him in Death Proof. He was so crazy and, and he definitely tore up that Dodge Charger in Death Proof. But I don't know, man. Masunas really thinks that Jack Burton is the uh, obviously the key to this movie. He's the funny man. He's great. And uh, I think this is where John Carpenter said, you know what? I want you to do whatever you want to do with this character. And that's what he does. He's like, I'm going to come to work and I'm just going to be laid back and I'm going to do whatever the hell I want and it's going to work. And that's exactly who Jack Burton is. So Jack Burton, you know, after the the song ends, uh, we have him talking to his buddy, which is Wang, who clearly Wang would be Liu Kang for all you Mortal Kombat fans out there. I mean, clearly, I mean, uh, how is he not Liu Kang? This guy, he's great. Uh, He's got awesome martial arts moves. Uh, He's just excellent, good times. So then we get the bottle scene. And I'll tell you, one thing Masunas really digs about this bottle scene is the fact of it's really funny because of the fact uh, it's like double or nothing. I need the money. And Jack's like, oh, man, you know, I, I don't want to spoil our friendship. You know, uh, clearly we're different racial uh, people here, but I don't want to ruin our so-called friendship here. And he goes, "Nah, man, I need the money. He's like, fine. And he goes, but not that bottle, this bottle. And I've always thought as a kid, I was like, huh, how did Jack know that he wouldn't be able to cut the bottle? I'm like, what was so special about his bottle? And then clearly later on in the truck, he says, my mind and spirit were not as one. And that's why I wasn't able to cut the bottle. And I love the look that Jack will give him in the truck as he says that. But uh, yeah, that's definitely something that Masunas digs is the bottle scene. It's just a good way to introduce uh, Jack and Wang, uh, their friendship, and just how... You know, they just, they're so cool because he's like, you don't owe me money now. He goes, ah, I can't pay you up, you know? And then he's like, well, I'll follow you. He's like, yeah, I came to my senses. You get in my truck, you know? And then we get the setup of Meow Yin and then you see her picture and you're like, wow, that girl is beautiful. And then you find out she's got green eyes and uh, evidently, you know, Chinese, as they say in the middle of the movie, Chinese girls do not come with green eyes. So clearly uh, either she had contacts on or she's truly uh, a person who is fully blessed. So very good there. But I, I really enjoy uh, this this scene with the truck because it is actually very, very funny because uh, he's like, my mind, uh, that's, why, that's why I could have cut the bottle. My mind went north and south. My mind and spirit are not one. And then Jack just turns and looks at him and he nods like, yeah, uh-huh, whatever, you know. And I love when he gets cut off. He's like, what the hell? You know, he starts honking at the guy. The things that Kurt Russell, Jack Burden will say in this film, it's not really what he says. It's the way he says it that Masunas really digs in this movie is why it makes it so funny. It's just like, what the hell? You know, just oh, it's so good. I definitely, you know, there's not a single scene with uh, with Mr. Russell that does not work for Masunis in this film. And of course, earlier, I guess I forgot to mention about how uh, there's the line of it's all in the reflexes. It's a line that will be said multiple times. And there's a lot of one-liners in this film, a lot of um, you know moments or scenes that you just clearly will remember from this movie. And one of my favorite lines for sure 
is, you know, it's all in the reflexes. There's actually T-shirts with that saying that I really, really enjoy because that's the first time he says it is when he catches the bottle. It's just something I really enjoy, of course, is all the one-liners we have and all the one-liners, they always work, you know. But like I said, this is definitely a B-movie. Now, you're asking yourself, why does Masunas think that this is a B-movie? Well, let me tell you what good old Masunas thinks of why this is a B-movie. The acting in this movie clearly is not top-notch and we will talk about that as we get to certain individuals uh the martial arts is just like a good old kung fu b movie it's uh some of it's kind of ridiculous and fun i think this movie was trying to be fun you know most of these movies were trying to be serious you know and uh some of the coloring i think was purposely done to kind of be grainy a little bit you know because there's some scenes that are very crystal clear and then there's other scenes which are especially during the fight scenes which are kind of toned down which kind of gives it that b-level effect so i think it was something that john carpenter was definitely going for in the back of his mind where he's like i kind of want to make this a b-movie and it works i think that's the appeal of this movie is because the movie does not take itself seriously whereas mortal kombat took itself seriously it's just a terrible movie i mean mortal kombat uh, annihilation for me is a humongous guilty pleasure because the one-liners are so off the wall funny especially from jacks but the acting is atrocious the special effects look terrible uh it's some of the worst acting performances i've ever seen out of people but this movie does the opposite to where you have good actors who are purposely trying to act bad, uh, which we'll talk about when I get there. And uh, they just are having fun and not taking themselves seriously, whereas Mortal Kombat, as I said, was taking itself seriously. So that's why I think that this movie as a B-movie works, whereas Mortal Kombat, who's definitely a B-movie, does not work, if that makes sense. All right, so let's talk about Kim Cattrall uh, in this movie. So here's the deal. Uh, as you know, I absolutely love her in Mannequin. Mannequin was a five-star film for me, as you know. Um, She was uh, not only beautiful, not only gorgeous, but um, she had the the comedy. She had the drama when it needed to be there. I mean, that end sequence where it looks like she's going to get chopped up. I mean, your heart just melts. Um, She was just, her chemistry with Andrew McCarthy was just great. I've seen this woman act in uh, many things, dramas. Uh, She was in this movie, Christopher Reeve. Uh, She was a terrible person in that movie, but her acting was great. Sex in the City. But she is god-awful in this movie. So terrible. She's the worst part of this movie, at least for the first half. She redeems herself for me at a certain point in this film, and we'll talk about that when we get there. But for the first half, oh, man. I think John Carpenter said, I want you to be the most annoying, obnoxious actress you can possibly be in it and i want you to act like you've never acted a day in your life and that's if that was the case she did a phenomenal job because she acts like she's never acted a day in her life her dialogue her delivery is terrible her looks are just god awful man i cannot stand her she's the worst part of this movie for me for the first half of the film oh so getting that out of the way 
Um, it's definitely part of what I was talking about. The B-level acting in this movie is definitely coming from Kim Cattrall's performance. All right, so as we're at the airport, we get introduced to Kim Cattrall's character. You know, and we see the the Lords of Death show up. The first guy you see in the black glasses, I really dig this guy. He's the one that eventually will pull out uh, the knife that uh, Kurt Russell will eventually trip over one of the other guys. You'll probably know this guy is Jeff Amata. Now, Jeff Amata is in multiple, multiple martial arts films. Um, in fact, him and Brandon Lee did a lot of uh, fight choreography together. Uh, he was in The Crow. I mean, this guy is in, you name it, this guy is in a martial arts film. And nine times out of ten, he's usually the martial arts uh, fight choreographer. This guy is just great. So I always recognize this guy anytime I see him. He is always excellent. I love this guy. But he has a really cool look with those black glasses. Definitely pulls it off. Looks awesome when he pulls out the knife and just freaks out Jack and he trips over the other guy. And then uh, they all take off and you see a red firebird that looks surprisingly like Kit. But as you know, uh, the firebird Trans Am was a popular car at that time. And, uh, you know, maybe it had to do with Knight Rider. I doubt it. They probably just wanted a cool-looking car. And back then, 1986, uh, the you know, the Pontiac Trans Am Firebird was the car at the time. So uh, it was definitely great seeing the Firebird. I love that car. Of course, as you know, Kit is my favorite car of all time. So it's good. Uh, I, and I, I should take it back when I said, uh, what the hell, uh, from Jack, it, it wasn't in that scene. It's where he's trying to chase after the guys and he gets cut off. He's like, what the hell, you know, and he's, and he's doing his little, uh, horn, um, to the guys that cut him off. I should take it back. Cause I thought it happened in that scene and it wasn't, but that's what I'm talking about. Just the things that Jack will say in this film are things that Masunas definitely digs, including the scene of Egg Shen for the first time, uh, where he's in the where he's in the bus. I love his face where he sees Jack coming down the street, and his his eyes just open, and then as he's trying to turn the wheel, he's bouncing up and down, and you just see his face like he's swearing. Oh, it looks so good. Now, a lot of people don't realize this, but uh, Margot is actually walking down the street. And as Egg Shen is, you know, pulling off to the side of the road, uh, Egg Shen almost kills Margot. Margot has to get out of the way. So that's actually our first introduction to Margot's character is her walking down the street, almost getting killed by Egg Shen's uh, truck, but um, or bus or whatever it is that he, yeah, his bus, I should say. Now, uh, when they get in the alley and uh, you see the uh, the fight, you know, first you see the funeral. And then you see the the Wing Kong. The very first guy that comes out of the Wing Kong who has the meat cleaver, that guy, again, is in every single martial arts film. He's always a bad guy. If you uh, remember watching Die Hard, he was the guy that, while waiting for the cops, he was the first guy to eat the candy bar. Unfortunately, I don't know this guy's name, but I, I he's definitely recognizable. Every time you see him, you're just like, oh, yeah, I love that guy. He's always a bad guy. Um, oh, here we go. I had I had to look this guy up. It's Al Long. Uh, of course, you're gonna know him from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, of course, good old STL Lang, where he was Genghis Khan, and then you'll know him in Lethal Weapon, where he was torturing uh, Mel Gibson. So I mean, he's Die Hard, Scorpion King, you name it. Uh, he was actually uh, in. Oh man, I just recorded uh, the Shadowy Flight uh, for season three. 
um, Night of the Drones. And he was actually one of the bad guys in Knight Rider. He was in that episode. And I was like, okay, when David Hasselhoff was trying to fight this guy, I'm like, seriously, David Hasselhoff doesn't stand a chance, you know. And I brought this up in the episode. But, yeah, I love that guy. He's great. So, of course, seeing him come out with the meat cleaver was just good times. Uh, this guy is always great. He has some of the great moves. I mean, he breaks people's arms. Let's talk about this fight. This fight is insane. I mean, this movie's rated PG-13, and clearly you can tell they were almost close to an R rating. I mean, in this fight, I think they kind of made it so over the top they wouldn't get an R rating because they break a guy's arm in half. Uh, they take one guy's head and they smash it through a board. They take another guy's face and smash it through concrete. Another guy uh, gets his nuts stabbed oh man dude i was oh when i saw that i did not remember that guy gets on the ground the guy takes the knife and he flips and stabs right in the nuts oh man that hurts so bad i'm telling you this fight scene is great excellent way to start off uh the big action we're gonna get and then of course we get the three storms now i told you thunder is the first guy we see worst actor by far i mean kim cattrall is trying to act bad this guy is just clearly has no acting chops whatsoever he's terrible he's by far the worst thing in this movie kim cattrall is the worst actress but this guy's the worst thing in this movie he's terrible oh man i mean he's definitely in like the stl top five worst performances ever in a movie is by far this guy uh the next guy uh i really dig i like to call him uh man what was the third guy is raiden for sure the guy that comes down with the lightning and then he has the the spinners on his finger that guy is definitely raiden i mean he's got the electricity he looks cool uh man good times the three storms overall are a really cool concept these guys wiped all them out i mean they all obviously even thunder can fight that's what they're supposed to be there for but uh visually this scene looks really great it's just a super fun scene and of course it's ridiculous because there's all this gunfighting going on and none of the bullets ever hit the truck the truck is like in this magical uh force field where bullets miraculously uh move and hit the guys that are next to the truck and never actually hit the truck so that is always something funny to watch in this film, which of course happens in B movies, you know, or they happen in A movies, of course, but it's kind of one of those purposefully uh, ridiculous things that are kind of pointed out that, hey, bullets don't actually touch the vehicle. You know what I mean? Now, there was something I found a little odd, which I never really noticed before. Uh, before the three storms start their attack and they pull out their knife before they do their flip, why is there a robot sound effect? It, they sound like RoboCop. It's like, you know, I can't do the sound effect, but it literally is a robot sound of the knife coming up to hit their hand. And then they, they pull back like they're robots. And they, they've established these guys are not robots. So I, I just thought that was a little off. But, you know, it's a little tiny thing. But I guess I never really noticed it before until last night. But I was just like, huh, what's up with the robot? All right, so let's talk about Low Pan. Good old James Hong. I love this guy. Uh, he is just, he's phenomenal. You know, of course, clearly, Low Pan is Shang Tsung from Mortal Kombat. You know, good old sorcerer. And if you've ever played the PS2, 
there was this game called True Crime. It's a very fun game. It was kind of like Grand Theft Auto before Grand Theft Auto got to be huge, I guess you could say. Well, I, I should put it this way. Grand Theft Auto 3 came out, obviously was the biggest game ever, I think, on PS2. But True Crime was this uh, really fun um, you know, martial arts cop action game, and you actually got um, you got to be a good cop or you got to be a bad cop, depending what you do and your side missions and stuff. You either got to be ying or yang because you had a yin yang symbol. So I was always trying to be the good cop to get the rewards. But there's one scene in the video game where you go unconscious and you start to fight uh, a dragon, and the dragon is no other than Lo Pan. That is sitting on his throne, throwing this dragon at you. And I was like, this is the weirdest thing ever. And even he says, boy, aren't you Lo Pan from Big Trouble in Little China? And it was just, it was so fun in that game. I'll never forget it. I love true crime. But, you know, he is great. Uh, Clearly, this guy is just, man, anything he's in, I'm always the first, you know, I'm always like, yeah, good old James Hong, good old, you know, Lo Pan. So let's talk about the first scene. Uh, That we get of him, which is clearly an error uh, later on in the film. And uh, what I mean by that is if you, uh, you know, Jack, he runs over Lopan and he gets out of his truck and we have lights come out of Lopan, which he'll say later on with light coming out of his mouth. Well, clearly, if you pay attention, Lopan has light come out of his eyes and then it blinds Jack and then the light comes out of his mouth. So how did Jack know that light came out of his mouth when he was already blinded by the light that came out of Lopan's eyes? Anyways, you know, uh, it's a fun mistake, but I kind of caught it this time around where I was like, wait a second. Didn't he see the light from his eyes and then get blinded before he saw the light in his mouth and then get blinded? And I caught it. I was like, ah, you guys screwed that one up, but it's okay. Now, after Wang takes Jack uh, and and rinses out his eyes, uh, does fast because he's like fast and then they run. Is fast supposed to mean run? I don't know. I just think it'd be better for him to have said run instead of fast. And then they take off and go hide. Uh, I don't know. I never understood why Wang says fast and then they run and take off. I don't know. It was dumb, but it's also funny at the same time and I dig it. Now, I like it when they go back to the restaurant and, uh, you know, we have Wang's, you know, grandfather, I believe it is. And he's like, China is here, Mr. Burden. And then, you know, what Masunas loves that Jack Burden does is Jack's like, China is here. I don't even know what the hell that means. All I know is this low pan character comes out of thin air in the middle of a damn alley while his buddies are flying around and wires cutting everybody to shreds. And he just stands there waiting for me to drive my truck through him with light coming out of his mouth. Oh, it's hilarious. But of course, you know, you didn't see the light coming out of his mouth. You saw the light coming out of his eyes, sir. But I love that line. And I just love his, his face. Uh, just the way he delivers that, so good. And then uh, we'll get introduced to Eddie in this scene. Eddie's cool. Uh, he doesn't have a big role in this movie, but he works. Uh, he's definitely supposed to be just kind of the friend to Wang. And he's a good, uh, he's a serviceable character. You know, there's nothing I can say bad about him. There's nothing I can say good. He's there and he's one of those guys that uh, definitely fits 
for what they need him for. He's definitely one of those characters I wouldn't want to take out of this movie. So good job. I, I dig Eddie. And then we get really horrible cheesiness from Gracie Law. I mean, it's really bad where I just roll my eyes, but then it gets redeemed because we have, I believe it's Wang's uncle who's like, just out of nowhere, what the hell is Gracie Law doing here? It's like, where did you not see her five minutes ago? Just that random line from him, I crack up laughing so bad. But Gracie by far is just, this is one of her worst performances in this movie, is this whole restaurant scene. It's got awful, but it's still funny at the same time with just the, what the hell is Gracie Law doing here? Now, by far, the worst line for me in this movie is, uh, you know, the guys, they have Jack go in to try to, to find Miao Yin, and it's raining out. So Gracie sees, um, what's her name, uh, Margot. So she gets out of the vehicle, and she goes into Margot's um, car. And she, and then Gracie says, we have one of our own stirring the pot. It, the, the way she says it and does it is so bad. I'm telling you, man, Kim Cattrall... If she was told to act like this, she did a phenomenal job. I mean, she should get an Oscar for being this terrible because she is so god-awful in this movie. Oh, it's so bad. And I, it's what pisses me off is I know how great she is and everything else. But like I tell you, though, it's not the whole movie. It's only in the first half. Then the second half of the movie, she's great. It's just this first half that is just such a pain for me to get through. But just that stirring the pot. Oh, so bad. So anyways, um, I really dig the next scene. Or I should say, Masunas really digs this next scene coming up. Probably one of my favorite Jack Burton moments is uh, this, you know, the, the storms come in. They take Meow Yin and Jack goes up and punches, uh, punches one of them in the face. And he does it again. And then when he realizes he does no damage to him, he just smiles and nods. It was so hilarious. I just love that. Oh, good times. Now, one of my favorite scenes for sure uh, is where Jack and uh, Wang, uh, they, they go to where um, they're eventually going to get captured uh, and put in front of good old old school low pan. But I love when they when they walk in and they just try to play it off like everything's cool. And, uh, they get in that little elevator and, uh, you know, you know where we are. He goes, yeah, we're standing in some deep S and then they go underwater and it's really creepy. This is uh, probably the only scary scene, if you will, that John Carpenter does his own style where, you know, Burden opens up the elevator and just sees the skeletons and you just see him freak out, but he's trying not to lose his breath, you know? And it's it's a really it's shot really well. It looks really great because some underwater scenes sometimes don't look very good. This is one of those scenes where they they take the camera and they bring up the lighting where it's done very well. Because like I told you, there's various scenes, especially the fight scenes where it looks kind of grainy, but then there's other scenes where it's really bright and crystal clear. And it's definitely in this underwater scene where they wanted you to be freaked out by seeing all these dead people, and you knew that people. Uh, uh, were 
we're here multiple for a very, very long time, obviously. So it's just, it's a very effective scene. It's excellent. I like when they get captured and you have the little red ball uh, in one of the storm's hands and he throws it in the Jack's stomach uh, is very cool. And then eventually when they meet up with Lo Pan, you know, the, the biggest problem I would say I have is the fact of they constantly have to remind you that Lo Pan uh, wants to have flesh. You know, they just, oh, he's dead. He, need, he needs to be flesh. He needs to be flesh. They, they like repeat this like six times in this movie. It gets real annoying. We get it, people. The guy's dead. He needs a girl with green eyes to make him mortal again. You only have to say it once, okay? Maybe twice. That's it. You don't need to keep repeating the fact of then he's then he'll be flesh and then he's all and then he's ours for the taking. We need him to be flesh. Oh, master your flesh. It's like they that's my biggest problem with this movie is the fact that they always repeat the same crap over and over and over again about Lil Pan. We get it. You told us before. You know, for example, uh later on in the film when uh uh, Gracie is talking with Egg Shen and they're looking at that map and he's like thunder and lightning and all this and that. In that scene, uh, Egg Shen tells Gracie the same exact story that he told Jack earlier in the film. It's like we've already heard this before. Change it up, okay? Seriously. We don't need, we got the footnotes version. You don't have to repeat the same story over and over and over again. So that's my biggest gripe of this movie for sure. So getting that out of the way, um, you know, we get the old low pan. It's real funny stuff in regards to Jack just giving this guy a hard time. And he's like, what's the matter? You can't find somebody your own age. And uh, low pan gets real funny about, uh, I'll have you skinned alive. Don't understand. You know, some some of the way he delivers his lines is great. He sees a friend. Oh, this really pisses me off. You know, I, I love just low pan in this scene because he clearly talks different than he does as the sorcerer Lopan is the old guy. He talks really fast and he's got uh, kind of like a real high pitched voice, you know, really pisses me off. You know, just, I, I love it. I dig it. He's two, he plays two different characters for sure. I think the, the old school Lopan is actually the real guy. And then when he's the sorcerer, it's like him putting on a costume where he thinks he's all big and bad and stuff. So, now, I think one of my favorite scenes of Jack and Wayne together are when they're captured. You know, after Jack's, uh, he knocks himself over, he takes his blindfold off, which I've always wondered if you can actually do. Because, you know, clearly when you're sitting up, you can't bend over to reach your hand uh, if you're tied up. But I falling over, I've always wondered if you can actually pull that off or if that was just movie magic. But I like it when he's just like when Wayne tells him, I, ne- I didn't want to insult you. And that's when we get, you know, the story about Lopan and sorcery and all this other stuff. But it's done differently, though, that it's my favorite part of the movie of the story of Lopan and just overall uh, sorcery and stuff. Because the way he says, you know, I'm Chinese and I don't even want to believe it. The way he says and delivers that line is just it makes the scene that much better. It's really great. It's a really, um, you know, it's the most real scene of these two guys because they're mostly like all about having fun together or they're in this big adventure. But it's the it's the only real quote unquote real moment between these two guys of like, all right, man, it's time to get serious. Here we go. 
you know, and I'm not trying to BS you. You know, I'm Chinese and I don't even believe it. I don't expect you to either, you know, and that is just a really cool scene that I really, really enjoy. One of my favorites for sure in this movie. Now, uh, how iconic is the wheelchair scene, you know, where uh, where Burden gets hit and falls down and he he goes over to the well and looks behind him and he's just like, oh, no, you know, and then he has to he has to use all his muscles in his arms just to pull himself up. It's a great scene. It's shot well. The color, I told you, looks really great. And it's a very effective scene. It really looks like it's Mr. Burden, you know, Mr. Russell, for sure, really doing that scene. I don't know. It's it's done very, very well. I got to say the special effects, man, they still hold up to this day. You don't see wires or anything like that. It looks really, really good. I think the only bad scene is Wayne and uh, Lightning, I believe it is, fighting in the air with the sword fight. That's the only scene that looks bad. Everything else still looks solid uh, and holds up for sure. No doubt about it. Now, I love the outrageous scene where they, uh, where we have um, you know, Jack, we have Wang, and then uh, we have good old Eddie. And they get the guns, and Jack's like, I'll trade you. And he gets the big gun, and then uh, Wang changes the, the other gun, and they just go on this big rescue. And I love it when Jack kills somebody, and Eddie's like, First time you ever plugged the guy? And then Jack's like, Of course not, you know, which clearly it is. He's never smoked somebody before, but he handles it pretty well because in most movies, everybody's throwing up or, or whatever the case may be, but Jack's just like, Okay, I killed somebody moving on. You know, it was like it was no big deal, but I just love Eddie. That's my favorite line from Eddie. First time you ever plug somebody? <laughs> of course not, you know, love it. Now, I would say uh, the only problem I ever really had outside of the whole like flesh thing being talked over and over and over is when uh, Wayne grabs Eddie and tells the girls to open up or he's going to kill Eddie. I. As a kid, I was always like, well, they don't care. I mean, they don't know who Eddie is, so why would they care about if Wang kills him? You know, but then uh, we have Wang talking about how uh, if I kill him, you know, he starts talking about the souls of the dragons and stuff. So clearly he's talking about like a curse that would happen if he was to smoke him right then and there. So I totally get it now. But, you know, earlier watching it, you know, as a kid and stuff, I just I was always like, well, who cares if. Wayne kills Eddie. The girls don't know who he is, let alone care. But, you know, it kind of makes sense now. But it's a good fight. You know, we really get to see Wayne in action going forward uh, at this point in the movie where he's just he's taking on guys and knocking them out. And Jack's trying to get his knife out and, uh, you know, knife Well, because he loses the gun and tries to go get the gun and come back and find out that Wayne's taking everybody out just like Liu Kang would take everybody out because Liu Kang has all the crazy fire and the bicycle kick. And, I mean, Wayne has some crazy kicks that this guy does. So I love it. It's good. It's a really fun scene. I, it's probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie for sure is just the, the kind of the rescue scene, if you will. Now, I love the, uh, you know, where Jack uh, takes Gracie and kisses her and she's like, hey, you know, he's like, sorry, I'm just happy to be alive. And then we get, uh, we, we might be trapped when they open the door. But then we get the introduction to Goro, you know, the big monster that Gracie looks at and it opens the door and grabs her. This From this point on in the movie is where Gracie 
is a total different character and is nothing like she was before. Because uh, when she gets captioned, she does that scream. It's awesome. I mean, this guy clearly looks nasty and disgusting. Great monster. But every single scene with Gracie at this point on is awesome. Where she gets confronted by Lil Pan. She's all pissed off. She's screaming. She tries to bite his fingers off. You know, even the scenes where uh, she gets kind of hypnotized by him. Where he walks in and she goes, uh, yes. No, you know, and where anytime she's trying to get uh, Mo Yin to wake up and just the wedding, just from this point on, Gracie works for me and she is a fantastic character and now I love her. She's no longer the annoying, over-the-top, ridiculous, stupid actor, that, that person or what character, whatever that she was. She's just completely different and now I get the Kim Cattrall that I know and love. So, uh now, from this point on, the, the second half of the movie is top-notch, 100%. I got no problems whatsoever. You know, now I'm fully aboard this ride, you know. So, th- that's this is the turning point for me, is when she gets captured. Now, I really love, you know, we're getting towards the end of the film. It's where the guys decide that they're going to go and storm the place. And we get Egg Shen and, and the guys show up. And I love how Jack says to, uh, I believe it's Eddie... Where, you know, cops have better things to do than to get killed. Which is a line that Wang had told Jack earlier in the film. And it was just really cool to have it come full circle. And you just see Wang look at Jack. And Jack just looks at him like, yeah, now I know what you mean by cops have better things to do than to get killed. But I love this scene. This is definitely uh, one of my all-time favorites. I'm getting into my favorite scene. Don't worry. But it's uh, where the guys show up and they open up the the you know, the sewer and you see the Ghostbuster pole and, and they go down the pole and they end up going through the sewer and stuff. My favorite line in the whole entire movie is where, uh, <laughs> uh, the thing comes out, uh, and eats the guy and, and egg Shen's like, you will come out no more. And Jack's like, what, what'll come out no more. Oh, it's my favorite line of the whole entire movie. It's hilarious. My favorite Jack Burton for sure. Now, I would say my favorite line from Egg Shen is definitely where I got bad news for you. Ready? You know, and he, he just, he's so happy about it just to deliver bad news. And of course, it's where he's delivering the flesh story again. But it, when he starts off, though, just by says, got bad news for you. Ready? You know, I, I love it. It's hilarious. It's good times. His face is just so good. But my favorite scene, hands down, is where uh, Egg makes up the uh, you know the potion that they're gonna need, and uh, when they when Egg takes the drink and his like he's like twitching and like his face it, like he's got one eye open and he's twitching and stuff. It's hilarious. I love it. It's great. And he's just like, what is in this thing? And, you know, you find out it's like a demon bag and all this and all this and that. And I just I love it. It's great. It's definitely it's funny because then they get in the elevator and you're like, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. I got a positive attitude. And then the one guy puts his hand on Egg's shoulder and Egg just looks at him like, dude, why are you touching me? You know, oh, it's my favorite. And then, of course, we see the flying meatball. As I like to call it, you know, uh, that thing is just so ugly looking, but it's so effective. You know, the thing that Egg Shen can see because it, you know, it's got like 50 eyes and stuff. And uh, I love when Jack shoots it. What? You never know until you try, you know. Uh, And then we get the big fight. 
I love this big fight. And it definitely, when they, uh, when Egg and uh, Lil Pan, they pull out their little, like, space ball rings, you know, and uh, they start fighting, and we get, like, I like to call the He-Man fight. This totally looks like Masters of the Universe, the movie, the Dolph Lundgren and, uh, you know, Skeletor fight at the end. It's got the same colors and everything. I'm like, this is totally a ripoff of He-Man, but I love it. It's awesome. Uh, it's definitely great. You never could beat me, Eggshen. This whole ending is great. The music's fantastic. Uh, great fighting by uh, Jack, you know, shooting himself. Uh, well, he shoots up and then the rocks fall on his head. It's just funny because he's kind of out of the game while everybody else is just kicking ass and taking all these guys out. And you have, you know, Wang, just total Liu Kang style, taking everybody out, taking out the three, you know, one, taking out one of the storms, the one that I, I like the best. He's definitely the coolest. Like I said, the sword fight in the air is really the only thing that doesn't hold up. But it's still super fun, though, to where you can forgive it, you know. But overall, it's a fantastic way to end the movie with this fight going on. And then the most iconic scene of the film, I feel, is definitely the Jack versus Lopan scene. Now, this scene proves to you how badass Jack Burden is. When Jack Burden can get kissed by Gracie and have lipstick on his lips, walk out there and start talking some trash and take on Lopan while wearing lipstick and still look awesome. I mean, that it's total. It, this is why this character works. And I love when he just he throws a knife. It's a nice knife. Goodbye, Mr. Burden. Grabs it, throws it back at him. Man, so good. It's so iconic. Even though you know it's coming, you know exactly how it's going to play out. It's one of those scenes that you can't wait for. And when you're watching it, you're still amazed like it's the first time you're watching it. You know, I love it. It's great. I mean, I would definitely say it's the most iconic scene of the film. Most people, it's probably their favorite scene. I think in reality, it is probably my favorite scene over the egg shen drinking and just that whole like male bonding scene. It, this is probably, I should actually rephrase it and say that this is my favorite scene. But I think, I feel like it's everybody's favorite scene. So that's kind of, I wanted to kind of have a different one. But it, looking at it, being honest with myself, really, it is this scene because it proves to you just how awesome he really is. That he can pull it off or most people wouldn't be able to pull this off. And you kind of forget that he has lipstick on while he's doing this fight, you know. So, yeah, the, just overall, uh, it's great. Of course, the bad guys always miss with bullets, you know, trying to shoot Jack as he's trying to run to his truck. The bullets just miraculously have a force field. Never hit Jack. Never hit the truck. And, uh, you know, if you watch the deleted scenes, you know, after they escape and they're at the stoplight and Miao Yin and Wang are kissing... Uh, they see the guys in the beginning of the movie, you know, the three guys, uh, you know, the lords of death, they actually uh, hit their car and throw it over a bridge and they sink. It's hilarious. But of course, they probably cut that out because they're like, oh, you know, it's kind of taken a little too far, kind of making you think, okay, well, Jack's becoming a killer now, you know, so I see why they cut it. But in all reality, it was supposed to be a funny scene, kind of like these guys are getting their comeuppance, you know. But uh, I love the ending, though, of course, because it seems like happy times and uh, they don't make Jack kiss the girl at the end. And, you know, it's kind of open ended. And I always was kind of mad that they had Goro come out of the back of the truck because I'm like, 
Well, what's up with that? You know, you really didn't get a happy ending, if you will. But it is. But then, of course, as you get older, you realize, well, it's John Carpenter. You know, usually in a horror film, you got to have the the scare ending. But really, it kind of opens up your mind to have a new adventure for the guys based on this. But it's kind of cool to see Jack Burton end the movie just the way he started off, just talking some smack into the CB, and uh, yeah, then and then the movie's over. So. I mean, overall, guys, I really love this movie. I've seen this movie multiple times. I mean, easily I've seen it like at least 30 or 40 times, if that. I mean, maybe more. I I mean, I really love this movie. I watched a lot. I do recognize the fact that there's a lot of people out there that don't like this movie. And if they say they don't like it, I could totally see where they're coming from because this really is a cult status movie, you know. Uh, Overall, I give this one a solid four. No doubt about it. It still holds up to this day. I recognize the fact that we have, you know, cheesy dialogue. Uh, We have some really bad performance by Kim Cattrall the first half of the film. We have great one-liners. Is this Kurt Russell's best movie? It's hard to say because Kurt Russell has done uh, a lot of great roles. Uh, There's actually one movie that I really, really love of Kurt Russell that always sticks in my mind. And uh, that would be Breakdown. Uh, it's it's a very, I think, a movie that w- wasn't very big, but him and his wife, they break down, and then she ends up getting kidnapped, and he's got to do what it takes to uh, to rescue her. I would think that it's easily in my top three favorite Kurt Russell movies because it's one of those movies that a lot of people didn't really know about, but just acting-wise was just, man, it was off. It was crazy, crazy good. So I won't say that this is the best Kurt Russell film. I think this is the the funnest movie for me when it comes to Kurt Russell because this is really where he just came to work and just did whatever he wanted to do and just have some fun. Uh, But it's definitely a movie that I recommend to anybody who just wants to get get around with some friends you know on a weekend have some popcorn and and just you know hang out this is one of those movies where you can kind of talk over you don't need to pay attention to especially if you've seen enough and just kind of turn your head to the parts that you really dig like oh here comes the fight scene you know or here comes my favorite one-liner you know it's one of those movies you know so uh, hands down four stars still holds up to this day but it's also a b movie and you have to recognize that fact. So I think if you recognize the fact that it's a B movie, I think you'll have a much funner time with it. So there you go, guys. That's what I have to say. All right. So let's go ahead and hear what the STL Nation had to say. All right, so we have a few emails, so thank you guys for writing in. And uh, our first one comes from Time Traveling Peter. Here's what he had to say. Greetings, Masunas and the STL Nation. This is my fourth attempt at emailing in. Apparently, Lopans cursed my email. Moving on. As far as I can remember, this was my first Kurt Russell movie, and his portrayal of Jack Burton made me a fan of his. It led me to watching just about anything he was in. I like that. I like the character of Burton because he was uh, your unconventional hero. His two scenes that always stuck out to me was when uh, during the big fight, he screamed and shot his gun into the ceiling and the debris fell and hit him over the head. And then minutes later, when he was uh, 
talking to one of the baddies while uh, lipstick stains were still smeared over his lips. That's funny stuff. Kim Cattrall was fine as Gracie Law. Disagree with you there, sir. I couldn't picture anyone else in the role. One thing, though, they made this big deal about her being a lawyer in the beginning, but nothing becomes of it really. Uh, which, you know, I don't know. I don't think I saw that. I mean, to be honest with you, I kind of forgot she was a lawyer. Uh, Dennis Dunn, who plays Wang, uh, was my favorite Asian character for a while. Uh, this was, of course, because Kino came along in TMNT2 and then uh, Rufio and Hook. Uh, it's too bad that this was his biggest hit. James Hong as David Lopan. This day still creeps me out. Uh, the way it looked when Jack ran over him with the semi looks creepy and also when he floats through walls. The terrifying trio, as I like to call them, were definitely my favorite baddies. Their huge headgear and capes so worked for them. It easily could have looked corny with the wrong director, which I agree with you, sir. No doubt about it. They looked fantastic, even though Thunder... I was thought was terrible. Uh, he definitely still looked cool. And speaking of Mr. John Carpenter himself, did an awesome job with the visuals, pacing, and even music, which, of course, John Carpenter always does his own music, so I love his music in this one. Uh, my favorite visual effect was when Egg Shen and Lil Pan had their light show fight. You mean the He-Man fight? Uh, where two warriors fought in the purple and green light. Too bad it didn't last long. There was a thug in the alley fight scene whose name I don't know. I do know, however, he has been in at least four STL movies, including My Science Project, which, very good, sir. Uh, Lethal Weapon, Beverly Hills Cop 3, and more recently, he was Genghis Khan in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. So, luckily for you, sir, I found him. Very good. Uh, since this came out in 86, it obviously heavily influenced Mortal Kombat and, of course, threw in the Kumite-style uh, tournament from Bloodsport. There's so many similarities between Mortal Kombat and Big Trouble and, like, characters, costume, backdrops, weapon, and music. It's uncanny, which is true, sir. Uh, when Mike does Mortal Kombat, we'll get into it more. <laughs> yeah. Overall, I give this movie a solid five stars. Wow, I didn't think I didn't see that coming, sir. I didn't have to think all about it. I own it and could watch it over and over, and that, my friend, makes it a five. Hopefully, this one made it safely, and I hope everyone is staying warm during the winter. Until next time, time traveling, Peter. If you haven't seen it, check this out. He gave me a little link to something. So, thank you, sir, for writing in. You know that's cool, man. I mean, five stars, man. That that is good times. I'm glad you love it that much. Uh, you know, uh, man, for me, it just, it's, I don't know. It's always been a four, you know, it's, it's been a super fun movie, but I've always recognized, uh, just the things that I talked about in the review, you know, but uh, like I told you, man, I mean, fun factor wise. Yeah, I could bring it up that extra star, but if I'm just being overall, you know, overall movie solid wise, I still stick with my four. But that's awesome. You got a five, sir. Good job. So thanks you for writing in, especially knowing the fact uh, it took you a while to write that in, sir. So our next email comes from John, the music man. And here's what he had to say. Hello, STL Nation and Mike. It's been a while since I wrote in, but you know that things called life, you know that thing called life, 
uh, gets in the way. But I had to write in for this fun movie. First off, this movie to me, in my mind, is a B movie with a big budget, which I would agree with you 100%, sir. Not saying all the special effects are great, but the story is B-level type, and I just love these movies. Kurt Russell is just awesome as he talks about himself in the third person, and is still a good action star with comedy. As well, this movie is so quotable and went on TV. I always have to stop and just had to watch it, which is true. I'm the same way. As well, thinking back in the 80s, early 90s, uh, he was your man of any good action movie next to Stallone and Arnold. John, the music man. P.S. Thank you for the dedication song in the Daughtry Underground Hour episode. It meant a lot and many people didn't get it. And it's nice when it's... Uh, it, it meant a lot and many people don't get it he's talking about dedication and it's nice when people think of me and my babies in heaven and music makes me think happy thoughts about them so thank you uh, so much no problem sir I'm um, glad I was able to do that for you I'm glad that you know you gave me permission to do that sir so alright our next email comes from Damon from Houston what's up sir thanks so much for writing here's what we had to say this is about the Paul Walker episode Hello, Mike. I wanted to say thank you for the episode on Paul Walker. It was truly heartfelt and emotional. I am so happy it wasn't just a 10-minute news segment, which is true, sir. Thank you for writing in on that. You know, I, I kind of was going back and forth in regards to if I should do an episode like this, you know, and um, I had a lot of people tell me, hey, thanks for doing that episode. It was definitely a change of pace, something you haven't done before. And I was like, well, that was kind of the whole purpose behind it. But you know, it, when I got this email, I definitely felt I made the right decision because it was not something I wanted to just cover in, in movie and music news. So uh, I agree with uh, with all of that you said from beginning to end and never knew anything about him as a person outside of his acting career until now. Paul, was, uh, Paul will truly be remembered and missed. For me, I was in Walmart uh, with the wife and kids when I first read the news on my iPhone. I literally stopped in my tracks and thought to myself, what just happened? I immediately had to search for everything I could about the accident. It was hard believing it at first. Thank you again for that episode and always love your show. Damon from Houston. Well, thank you, sir. So much for the kind words. Thanks for writing in on that. Um, you definitely helped me, sir. Uh, and feeling better about doing the episode because again I told you I was kind of I was kind of worried about doing it. I really didn't know if it was the be- the right thing to do, but you know that email definitely made me feel like I I made the right choice. So thank you, sir, for writing in and giving me. Um, you know, giving me confirmation it was the right thing to do. So thank you so much for writing in. I can't wait to hear from you for more from you, sir. All right. So our next email comes from Lisa the Legend. And here's what she had to say. Hi, y'all. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and all that jazz. I've been overdosing on Christmas movies, and I'm loving it. Uh, I am excited for you to review this movie. I really enjoyed this movie for so many reasons. Yet, you don't have you don't have to have it in. Uh, yeah, excuse me. Yet, I don't have it in my collection, which after my Black Friday collection, you would have think I would have owned just about everything, which is true. She posted a picture of all the things she bought on Black Friday. It was ridiculous. And I know I haven't told my Black Friday story yet, but I'll probably do that on the next episode. I enjoyed this movie. I've always been a big fan of Kim Cattrall. I liked Kurt Russell, but I, I, I was never enough of a fan to seek out a movie, but I really enjoyed it. I think him bringing a trucker sort of 
seemed the deal maker for me since my daddy uh, was a trucker. I love the crazy scenes and the action packed scenes. The humor definitely made this movie. Then what whole two color eye thing was so different. I remember to this day. I love that. Uh, I love me some James Hong. He is in so many movies. He's such a recognizable character actor. Anywho, I know you'll tear it up. Take care. Lisa the Legend, a.k.a. Lisa the American Canadian. So thank you for writing in, Lisa. And that's kind of an inside joke for the STL Nation. For those of you who aren't part of the STL Nation, that's why you won't get that joke. And our final email comes from Hurricane Andrew. Here's what he had to say. Thank you, sir, for writing in. Dear Mike, out of protest... Of you not choosing my movie pick of the week, Scrooge, I refuse to comment on Big Trouble in Little China. Well, sir, I think you're not being a good sport about it. Of course, I'm just messing with you because you are an MMA fighter and you could come down here and kick my butt. So I'm not going to say anything bad about you, sir. Uh, Here's what he had to say. Perhaps you are a bit of a Scrooge yourself, allowing for only one Christmas movie for the month of December. To be fair, sir, I only ever do one Christmas movie uh, every year, you know, I did uh, Home Alone, you know, I'm doing Home Alone 2, you know, Halloween, you know, that's different. Uh, there's so many horror movies for me to choose from. Halloween's my favorite, uh, you know, time of the year. Christmas, you know, Christmas movies are something that it's very hard to find very good Christmas movies. And uh, I don't want to spend a whole month doing Christmas movies because, you know, it's one of those things where you could get burned out real easily. Some people love to do it. Other people don't, you know. So that's why I like to just have one big Christmas extravaganza episode. You know, Gremlins was my definitely my favorite. It was the first one I did. And then doing Home Alone last year was good times. And now, of course, doing, um, you know, Home Alone 2 this year. So um, I haven't seen this movie in so long that I don't I just don't have much to say about it other than it's not as good as Scrooge. Anyways, I was wondering if you could shed a little light for us on how you became one of the best podcasters out there. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, when or why, when and how did you start it? I want to complete details here. Bah humbug. Hurricane Andrew. Of course, he's just messing around. Well, sir. Oh, man, where do I even start, sir? Well, sir, how do I answer your question without, you know, taking an hour? Uh, Thank you, by the way, for the compliment. That was really awesome of you to say. Uh, You know, I would definitely say, you know, because it's funny enough, I've actually had people ask me this. Hey, I want to start a podcast. What do I do? Blah, 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 blah. You know, I would say this. I've kind of told my story a little bit in the past where, uh, you know, as you know, Knight Rider is my favorite TV show of all time. So the new Knight Rider uh, 2008 was coming out and I was kind of looking for more information on it and I was searching through iTunes and there was this thing that uh, said podcast and I was like, well, what the hell is a podcast? And there was Knight Rider online and I listened to it. I was like, ah, it was okay. And then there was this other one that said The Shadowy Flight, which was hosted by Jason, as you know, and uh, his buddy Dan. And I listened to it and I was like, wow, this is like really interesting, really cool. It's kind of like a radio show, but something that you can just download, you know. And uh, eventually, um, throughout throughout that podcast, I would email in and uh, you know get get to know them and stuff. And eventually, went to their other podcast, which was Flicks, which was you know obviously reviewing movies and stuff. And I downloaded all the episodes, checked it out, and eventually, believe it or not, Jason is the one that created the whole uh, you know Masuna's persona, if you will. Uh, I'll never forget it. I sent in an email and uh, he had on 
uh, Mad Dog. And uh, I think it was on the Outsiders episode, if I remember correctly. And I had emailed in on a prior movie, and Jason didn't say who the emailer was. And then, uh, you know, he finished email and Mad Dog's like, oh, that was a really good email. And they're like, yeah, it was. And they're like, well, who was it that wrote in? And Jason says, Masunis. He's like, I don't think you said that before. He's like, oh, no, Michael. Because Jason has a thing about only saying the first name. So I wrote into him. I was like, hey, you're one of the few people who ever said my last name correctly. And at the time, there was another Mike that was writing in. So I said, hey, if you want, you can just go ahead and just call me Masunis because you have another Mike writing in. And that's totally cool. with. And he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. So as the time went on, um, you know, it was kind of my thing. It was always Masunis, you know. So that definitely became, you know, the, you know, I like to say the character, if you will, of uh, Masunis this and Masunis that, you know. So then I was like, man, you know, there was certain movies that I loved. Uh, the Heavenly Kid, The Wraith, and Howard the Duck were movies that I had not seen many people reviewing. And I had asked Jason and Dan to do it, but they uh, they just had such a big list of movies that they had to do. So, you know what? Why don't I do it? And I've always loved the soundtrack to The Heavenly Kid, uh, Adventures of Babysitting, all that stuff. And I was like... I want to be able to do a podcast where I can do a movie and music podcast because movies and music are my life. As you guys know, especially since I've introduced the Underground Hour, music is always something I wanted to bring differently to a podcast because, you know, podcasts don't normally have really any music in them and stuff. So I thought, hey, you know, I really want to do The Wraith and The Heavenly Kid, but I want to save those for like... Uh, episode two and three. I want to do my first one. You know, I know it'd be kind of rocky. So, uh, luckily in my corner, I had Jason who really helped mentor me, uh, give me the information I need because, you know, to do a podcast, it's not free. So obviously you, you need a server, uh, which is a place that hosts your web, you know, your, your episodes, iTunes lets you download, the podcast but you have to have a place that holds those episodes for you so i found a place it was pretty you know uh price wise reasonable for my budget it kind of worked for me it allowed me to do so many episodes per month so i thought yeah this is the one that i want to go with now i was told you need a really good microphone i could only afford a headset at the time so that's why my audio was terrible that's why i can never listen to the adventures and babysitting episode because i sound so terrible I had this whole echo thing going on for a very long time. I went through about three microphones and finally got the one that I have now, which uh, ironically is the same exact one that Jason has, and I didn't even know it. I was like, hey, dude, this is the one I'm thinking about buying. What do you think? He's like, man, that's the one that I use. And I'm like, well, that's perfect. And then Jameson ended up buying because if you notice, Jameson has uh, his microphone sucked too until later on on the podcast like cool as ice he sounds terrible and then by zombie land he sounds awesome that's because he got the same mic that i did so it was kind of funny and then uh one thing you have to have is a vision you know because doing a podcast you will get burned out very very fast people like the idea of being a podcaster but they don't like to do the hard work you know it's very hard to record it's very hard to edit put it together it takes a lot of time out of your life you have to pay money for people to get free stuff but as long as you have a vision and you have motivation you'll stick with it the fans will come uh you know luckily jason was cool enough to 
promote my show on his podcast, which helped get some of the STL Nation we have here. And then I started branching out to like Stitcher. And as time went on, the show kind of took its own life of its own. You know, I changed things up and uh, eventually, you know, I got the different segments like the STL Nation. You know, I always wanted to have a music spotlight, but, you know, I, I never had the clips or anything like that. So I used to do like this whole commercial thing, which I eventually moved over to the underground hour episodes. But, you know, the biggest thing for me is I made a lot of mistakes on this show, but everybody has stuck with me this whole entire time. You know, John, the mailman, John, the music man, uh, are, are, you know, one of my earlier guys, Anthony was pretty, uh, early on. Um, there's a couple guys in the STL nation that really have been here since the beginning, you know, and, uh, Jameson, I, I met around the 50th episode. Actually, it was the 50th episode. The Ghostbusters episode is eventually how we got hooked up and stuff. But, uh, I made a lot of mistakes on this show, but the, the true, the true fans stuck with me, you know, uh, luckily the iTunes reviews that I got were always positive. I got one nasty one but you know it it is what it is at least the ones that i got were very cool very very awesome you know after i got established uh my friend ryan who eventually would go on to do the d2r podcast i helped mentor him like i got mentored and his show turned out to be one of the ones i always wanted to check out you know which was really cool jason always helped me behind the scenes though uh the logo uh, he created that so the iconic you know crane kick the one that has to stay with me at all times i mean he did that just by just by making something up and it, it just stuck. People loved the logo and uh, he was really supportive and just would tell me, dude, your volume's too loud here or you got a lot of echo here or, you know, you, you need to change this up. So the cool thing is, is that I always had that constructive criticism, you know, it was always done in like a loving way, but it was always like, this is what you need to do. You need to change it or this is working, you know, so you got to have somebody in your corner that will, for example, uh, Jameson is obviously the person that stuck around the most. You know, I, I've had, I had, you know, some mistakes in regards to co-host in the past and stuff, but you could definitely say Jameson is kind of like the ghost co-host of STL. But the thing is, is that Jameson knows what it's like to do a podcast because of the fact of he knows the hard work behind it. So even offline, we'll be like, dude, how was this episode or how was the audio here? You know, so even though we get together, we have fun, we still have that podcasting level. Whereas uh, you may have you start a show, you get somebody on who just likes to do a you know, do the show with you, but doesn't want to help you do anything else. You know, they don't want to help you with the hard work behind the scenes or whatever. So, I mean, that's one of the things why me and Jameson work so good is because we're both podcasters and he knows exactly what I have to go through to put a show together, you know? So that's one thing that definitely helps is if you have somebody who has the same vision that you do, you know, uh, that's a, that's the biggest thing I could tell you. Have your vision and stick with it. You know, you are going to have people suggest, you know, do this or do that or change this or change that. Some things you stick to your guns to and say, no, I'm not changing this part of the show. Other things you'll be open to, as you know, uh, there's been so many changes with the show. If you go back and listen to now with uh, having the segments that we have, the STL Nation segments, having the group uh, being born and having, uh, you know, all these different uh, you know, nicknames, you know, the nicknames things started up, you know, there were just random things that 
things would work and other things wouldn't work, you know? So it's one of those things that your true fans will stick with you. The fans will come because, as you know, this show is over two years old and it's still growing, which is really cool. Never thought in a million years for a hundredth episode, you'd end up having, you know, one of the actors in the movie you're talking about as an interview and stuff. But uh, that's kind of the thing. Uh, earlier in STL, I lost my vision. I lost my focus and things got kind of messed up. Those are some of the mistakes I made. And then Jason would just remind me, hey, remember your vision you had? You know, you need to stick with that. And when I did that, the show took a life of its own. Uh, originally, I was kind of against the whole 80s 90s type podcast where I was like, nah, man, that's not me. I'm not, you know, but that's what people wanted. People were like, dude, it's hard to find a podcast like this. I like being able to revisit movies from my childhood and see if they still work today. That's pretty cool concept. And having the music in here makes it different, you know? So I went with it. I stuck with it and I found out that, yeah, that's actually what I was intending to do because the first movies I did were all old school movies. So how could I not stick with that formula? You know, luckily for me, I've got the the best fans in the world. You know, I would rather have, you know, 40 fans and know every single one of them and have that communication and friend base than have like 5,000 and not know anybody. That's kind of my philosophy and that's what works you know it's like every time somebody new comes into the sdl nation it's like hey let's open our arms up and welcome them in and make them part of the family you know it's really cool so i'm very blessed to have the fans that i do the people to listen to the show you guys are always great always supportive uh and it's awesome you know and i i think that's the biggest thing is that um i could just wrap it up and just say this that when you get an idea, think about what you want to do, what's your vision behind it, how do you want to make it different, and what impact do you want to make on people. And you're going to go through trials and tribulations. You know, I went through that whole Star Wars thing, which was just crazy. But your your true fans will stick with you through thick and thin. And that's all that's important. So that's basically podcasting 101 is uh, get a good service that will not – you know, for the most part, be 99.9% reliable. Uh, doesn't cost you a lot of money. Get a very good mic when you start off. Don't get the headsets. Those are terrible. Don't get, you know, get a good USB mic that, because uh, most people don't have a soundboard. So get a good USB mic. That's also a professional mic. So look on eBay and, and look for those kind of musical uh, style USB mics that uh, would normally be like $500 that you can get for like 100 bucks on eBay. That's the best way to do it. And unfortunately, uh, I have a bad habit of not keeping a schedule. Most podcasters say, hey, I'm going to release an episode uh, this day of the week. I tried to do that, but unfortunately, life gets in the way. So that's one of the mistakes that I usually make, unfortunately, is uh, I want to do something and things change. But that's kind of the cool thing with having a, a low key fan base is everybody's cool with it, rolls with the punches, like, oh yeah, we'll just we'll we'll get to that review later, or I understand. You know, your real fans are gonna be like, Yeah, life gets in the way. They're not gonna be douchebags and be like, Well, you didn't give me an episode this week, screw you, uh, you know, I'm done, you know. So um so yeah, get a good mic, get a good service, have a vision. You don't have to have a co host. 
If you need to make it solo, make it solo. If you need to have a co-host, make sure your co-host has the same vision uh, and and you know wants to do what you want to do at the same time. And that you guys are on the same page, and you'll have a good show. So that's you know, I guess that's basically all I can tell you, sir. So uh, that's it, guys, for all the emails. Thank you so much for writing in. Uh, always a good time to hear from you. So let's go ahead and move into the music spotlight. Here comes the ready and now. All right, guys, for the music spotlight, I got a really good one for you. It's definitely a, a fun song that I really, really love. Uh, as you know, with the Underground Hour, uh, usually I, if I have a band that I want to highlight, we usually do a top 10. This is a band that I would definitely want to do a top 10 episode on. Uh, I don't ever talk about them a whole lot, so some people may be surprised that I love this band. But it's a band that I really, really love and enjoy and just kind of always forget to talk about them. But they're definitely in my top 10 favorite bands of all time, and that's Hoobastank. Hoobastank is great. They got a crazy, ridiculous name, but man, they make amazing music. Uh, Rob, the the singer, this guy's voice is fantastic. I would love to have a voice like this guy. Uh, The name of the song I'm going to play for you today is Out of Control. It's definitely my favorite Hoobastank song, so I guess I'll spoil it for you. If we ever have a top 10 list, this would be my number one favorite Hoobastank song, but I'll never forget. I walk into a record store. There's this music video of the, I'm like, oh, I know this song, and then I see the music video, and it's going going all crazy with all these people around they have a really cool infinity symbol if you watch revenge uh, that's the logo for revenge is also the logo for hoobastank but i love this band they're great uh, i would love to do a top 10 episode for them and uh it's a, just a super fun song and yeah uh, that's the one i got for you today i had something else but i i, I didn't want to play it now because you would hear it in my top 20 list in a few weeks so that's why I want to give you something a little bit different. And this is a, definitely a fun song. Uh, overall, guys, that's it for the episode. I know it was a long one. It was a loaded up episode. So I'm sorry for how long it was. But hey, you know, it was definitely a fun time. Now, uh, if you want to write in, please do so at sweepdelaypodcast at yahoo.com or stlpodcast at gmail.com. Preferably use the Gmail one because the Yahoo one, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, in regards to the next uh, next week's episode, here's the deal. Uh, in the STL Nation, so if you go on Facebook, you type in the STL Nation. That's the place where the hardcore fans, you know, they help, you know, they play the games. They help me decide episodes, so on and so forth. So Dave uh, brought up Jurassic Park. It was a very good idea. Uh, here's the thing. With the fact of my family being sick, it's possible that I may not be able to record an episode next week. And we have Christmas coming around. So I think here's what we're going to do, Dave. Next week, I'm going to release the Christmas episode, the Home Alone 2 episode, and then we'll save Jurassic Park for the first episode of January. Uh, you know, it took me a little longer to record Big Trouble in Little China, and I it's going to be hard to do two episodes next week. So I'm going to save your movie, sir. I got it right here on my desk, ready to watch again. I'm going to save it for the very first episode of January. I hope you're cool with that, sir. And next week will be the Christmas episode, Home Alone 2. And the following week will be the big episode, the top 20 songs of 2013 and my top five. Uh, So make sure you send in your list. Let me know your favorite movies of the year. 
Let me know your favorite tunes of the year. I can't wait to hear what you guys have on your list. Uh, but don't forget to email in for Home Alone because that one comes first. Home Alone 2, continue, uh, you know, finish off that series because I'm not doing any more Home Alones after Home Alone 2. So, again, guys, thanks so much for joining me. Don't forget to go on Facebook, type in Sweep Delay Podcast. Go ahead and like that thing. We only got 67 likes on there. I want to get some more. Don't forget to go to Facebook to be part of the STL Nation. If you haven't done so, please go to iTunes uh, if you would be so nice and kind to leave uh, a nice five-star review. That would be awesome. If you don't want to leave a review, that's cool too. But anything helps. I got 29 right now, and it's so cool. Sometimes, uh, you know, believe it or not, 29. Uh, I've seen podcasts that have been around for like seven years, and they have like three. So I'm very blessed to have 29. So thank you so much, everybody. Well, you guys have a good one. Uh, enjoy the music spotlight, especially if you've never heard it before. I think you'll definitely love this song. And I'll catch you next week. Uh, for the big STL Christmas extravaganza when we talk some Home Alone 2. So you guys have a good one. Take care. Masunis out. I've done everything as you say. I followed your rules without question. I thought it would help me see things clearly. 